Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, it's a discussion between myself and Ken Ami of the website TrueFreeThinker.com. We're talking about his new book, Alistair Crowley's Influence on Papa Culture, How an Obscure Occultist Influences Culture from Beyond the Grave. For the intro, I have Michael Caine reading Rudyard Kipling's poem, If. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowances for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired by waiting, or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating. And yet, don't look too good nor look too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two impostors just the same, if you can hear the truth you've spoken twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools or watch the things you gave your life for broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools, if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at the beginning and never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are done and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you, if all men count with you, but none too much, if you can fill the unforgiving minute with 40 seconds worth of distance run, yours is the earth and everything that's in it, and which is more, You'll be a man, my son. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Ken Ami. Did I get it right that time? Yes. Because I know I said it wrong last time. But he is a returning guest. He and I go way back. We uh, both are interested in similar topics. The occult. Uh, Ken is a Christian, identifies as a Christian and has written some terrific books and, and has a great website titled truefreethinker.com. So if you get a chance, go check that out. But he's recently published a book, and we're going to talk about that particular book tonight. He also has some additional books. He's a great writer and very prolific writer at that. But tonight's book is Alistair Crowley's Influence on Pop Culture. I've studied quite a bit of Crowley, and uh, so, is, so is Ken. And he's taking a different angle, kind of showing... A lot of different things that I never really knew about, things, uh, the references to Crowley in comic books and music that I didn't know about, but uh, he's going to go in greater detail about that. So, Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Awesome, man. Pleasure to talk to you again. Yeah, man. It's great. It's great to uh, talk to you. I can't believe that we go back five, six years. I was looking back at an email <laughs> that we had talked about and also kind of run into some of the occultists, not in good ways, but, uh, you know, so... <laughs> But we're but we're still here, 
we're still here. But uh, I read through your book. I really liked it. It was awesome. I actually put a five-star review on Amazon before we started the show. So I was lucky to be the, the first one to uh, to review it. I appreciate the tip of the hat to me in your book, too. So, but uh, oh, Of course. Thank you I meant much. every word. No, I appreciate that. Um, so to get started, can you, people who don't know your website, True Free Thinker, or you, Ken, Ami, can you talk a little bit about your background, please? Ooh, that is a long story, but basically I am Jewish and then uh, went through various phases in my life. The one I'll mention contextually for tonight's discussion is when I was in junior high school and, uh, well, let me back up one step. So around sixth grade, I started reading about UFOs, uh, witchcraft, and cryptozoology. So those were my interests. And then by the time I got into junior high school, I got into um, some of the dark side, you know, um, death metal music, horror movies, basically anything that was dark, that's what I was into. And, of course, you can only do that for so long before you run into Crowley, right? Yeah, true. <laughs> Very true. And, uh, of course, these are pre-internet days, so you kind of had to really go looking for this stuff. True. And, uh, yeah. So, in essence, uh, like I mentioned in my book, I definitely consider you the premier modern-day researcher of Crowley. And it is mostly because of you telling me about your book that I started kind of trying to pad the Internet to be ready for this kind of point of view, which is let's talk about his uh, influence in all forms of culture, like, like you mentioned, um, comics, TV shows, movies, music, you name it, uh, people have been influenced by him. Correct. And that's a long list. I mean, your book lists out in great detail um, many of the influences of Crowley. And, uh, and, and, you know, you give some background about Crowley, about his, his ideas, things like that. But, uh, like, where did you start when you really, was it just things that you picked up in your research or did you decide to just go by music or how did you kind of come up with, with some of these people with their connection? Well, let me reiterate something I mentioned to you earlier this week in an email, which is the more you look, the more you find, the more frustrating it is because there's so much out there. So even as we speak, I'm thinking of two more references that I could add to my book. I mean, it's just crazy the amount of information that just keeps pouring out about this topic. Yeah. Uh, so, so one thing I mentioned in the book, let me go back a little further than what you just asked me, which is that um, I remember reviewing the documentaries, Hell's Bells, and they sold their souls for rock and roll. And from what I recall, both of them had sections about Crowley's influence uh, in music. It was the focus of those documentaries. And one of them made the point about just how many songs contain the lyric, which is derived from Crowley's famous motto, do what that wilt, or do what that wilt shall be the whole of the law. And when I heard that, it blew my mind because I played music with three different bands, but I only wrote lyrics to one song. And guess what the chorus to that song was? Do what that wilt shall be the whole of the law. That's okay, right. and that was, that was in the early 90s. So it really, really shocked me when I heard that in the documentaries, realizing I had done that myself. And, and the one and only song I ever wrote lyrics for, there it was, the Crowley influence. 
And hey. so you were uh, you started talking to me about how you were going to chase down um, some of the big names and some of the uh, slightly old time names, and that made me think. Well, let me see if I can chase down uh, like a broader scope of things, and that's why I just looked at everything. Like I said, TV, movies, comics, cartoons, music. Yeah, I and mean, that's it, where it all derived from. Yeah. Yeah, you've got names here of people I don't know, some bands, some death metal bands, more modern names, him, I'm not familiar, Fabry, Fibra, I didn't know Damon, <laughs> I knew Damon Albarn was an occultist, I didn't know that he walked around with Aleister Crowley's universal hexagram, that seems to be a common, you know, uh, motif or, or symbol that's used often by these guys, but... Uh, right, because I remember when I'm, when we talked about the H.R. Giger documentary on Netflix, you had you told me you noticed one of the guys on there wearing that. Yes, that's true. And, and yeah, that I know who that guy is. He is the lead singer of the band Celtic Frost. Interesting. And, and so, yeah, that's why I'm just, I don't mean to cut you off, but what no. they what they hint at, what they kind of are talking about in the documentary is that Giger had allowed Celtic Frost to use one of his paintings for a cover of their album. And the cover is some kind of demonic-looking guy using a crucifix with Jesus on it as a slingshot. Right, I've seen and, it. Yeah, yeah, and the album is called To Megatherion. Right. To Megatherion, yeah. the great beast right. of Ulster Crowley. That's right, that's right. So that was that's where that connection came from. Interesting, that's fascinating. These yeah. are still around, you know, they just... Uh, the newest well, Alien Covenant just came out, and all that <laughs> design is by Giger, right? Okay, I was going to say, just how are you saying that he's still around? Because well, personally, he <laughs> yeah, he's not. <laughs> his influence, I, let me qualify that. His influence is still around. So. Oh, yeah, his influence and um, also from the Species Movies franchise, which is very popular as well. I didn't know that. What Can you talk a little bit about that? I wasn't aware of that. What Species? Yeah, well, um, it's a sci-fi horror movie. If you were to see any footage from it or still, just by looking at the creature, you would instantly say, oh, okay, yeah, I recognize Giger's influence in that. And the, the rumor was, I don't, and he was friends with Timothy Leary, Giger was, he was also um, rumored to be the OTO head chapter of Crowley's OTO in Switzerland. I could never yeah, verify he, that, but that's my understanding. Right, and I know both of us noticed, I, I put it in the book, that photograph of Giger in one of his... Uh, art studies uh, or art studios, and there's a picture of you know who in the background. Crowley, right? Yeah. Well, yep, he did he did a painting called Crowley, or Al mm -hmm. well, the B six six six, I think was its title, and uh, it's full of symbolism, all these numerical references and things like that in his kind of black and white style. Did you ever uh, ever decipher the meanings in that picture? I will, now that you mentioned that, I'm going to have to look at it and um, kind of contemplate it, I suppose. Because like Crow, the Crowley figure is wearing a, a clown's hat, like a witch's hat too. There's all these numbers in there, sevens and uh, balls and all this other stuff that's in there that I never really could figure out the totality of its meaning. But I, I thought I saw that like a numerical uh, representation of the number 11, but I have to go back and look at that, but... Uh, I think that's a remark. In addition to his other remarkable pictures, he has some other, uh, you know, occult-influenced drawings, not just these pictures of this kind of crazy. Oh yeah, yeah. His, uh, yes, he he has some very strongly and obviously occultic references in there. Yeah. yeah. 
No question about it. Yeah, so that's that's remarkable. I mean, and then you know, you talk about Elron Hubbard. You talk about the song lyrics as well. Every man and woman is a star, and uh, that's another. That was the title, you know, that Kenneth Anger used for his book. Uh, what was it? Hollywood Babylon. This this reference from Crowley's Book of the Law. But some of these people are very famous. Taylor Momsen is the per first person you have on the list. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but for the younger crew, you know, millions of people are watching her videos. Yeah, well, see, uh, I would uh, emphasize it this way. Millions of people are watching her on a cutesy, dramatic uh, TV show. Oh, and she's on the TV show, too? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, let me see. Um, oh, uh, Gossip Girl. Oh, she's on Gossip Girl. I didn't know that. Right, so, you know, basically you're watching this cute young girl in this kind of uh, comedy drama, and isn't that wonderful? And then you hear, oh, she's a singer too. Well, isn't that interesting? Let me check out her singing. And guess what? I mean, <laughs> you're going to get the dark side, right? Right. I mean, I saw one of the videos. It's remarkable. It's like fully occult-oriented, satanic lyrics, you know, pretty, pretty graphic. Right. And I mean, I've, that's been one of my things I've noticed for a long time, which is, for example, um, Oprah Winfrey would trot out Christina Aguilera to stay at home moms who watch her show. And, oh, is this she just a clean cut, wonderful young lady? And guess what? No, she's not. But see, you're trotting her out for public consumption. You're painting her to be this uh, good old fashioned girl. And, but she's not, but see, that's how then a young child would go to mom and say, Oh, can I buy the album or go to the concert by Christina Aguilera? Oh, sure. I saw her on Oprah. Isn't she just a wonderful gal? And well, no, your kids are not going to get that, that wonderful gal. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no doubt. So, yeah. So I've I mean, noticed that it happens a lot. These people get trotted out for public consumption, just like, um, Miley Cyrus being on, What's that TV show? The Voice. Right. That's right. Okay. Well, you're not going to get that cute young girl when you get look at her albums, lyrics, and videos. You're going to get a, the dark side. Yeah, her naked with all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. Right. Crazy stuff. Yeah, Taylor Momsen, and she's young. I mean, she'll probably continue to be this kind of uh, dark occult influence for years to come. I mean, she's 24 years old. Oh, well, I was yeah. Let's hope she repents because yeah, you know um, Peach's Geldof was very much the same. A, a nice young girl, and guess what? She's passed away now. Yeah, I write about her in Children of the Beast. I covered her because of her her either dabbling or involvement in the OTO and the kind right. of heroin chic. Like it's cool to do heroin, kind of like Crowley did, and right. uh, it led directly to her demise when she when they did an inquest into her death. They said she was like her, her arms were a pincushion. She was doing tons of high grade wow. heroin. Yeah. And she, yeah. I mean, it's a tragic story because she ended up dying and her baby was in her arms. I mean, how. Oh, God. That's, that. Yeah. That, yeah, that is tragic. Absolutely tragic. I actually, well, a, friend of, a friend of mine on Facebook was her boyfriend for a little, little bit. So I got some interesting information about her that I never really published, but it's, mm. it's a tragic story, you know? And she was the daughter of. You know, uh, Geldof, the, the, what's, the, what's, uh, what's her dad's name? Uh, he was from the Boomtown Rats. So yes. she was kind of like rock royalty in a way. Right. You know, this guy who did Live Aid. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a tragedy. So it's not, yeah, and, well, if 
Okay, one thing that I mentioned in the book is whenever you hear modern day artists and artists of, of any format, right? Um, musicians, movie makers, regardless of what they are, when they when they comment about their art, inevitably they speak of it in terms of deconstruction and destruction and breaking down taboos and you know and all this. Uh, and that is a philosophy, right? It's not that has not traditionally been the point of view. If you look at the true and great artists of days gone by, painters, musicians, poets, they all inevitably said that they were doing their art for the glory of God. Right. Okay, and their art has lasted for centuries. Okay, now modern day artists, inevitably, they talk about destruction, deconstruction, breaking down, tearing down, and you have to recognize that is a philosophy under which they're working. And so you have, um, yeah, you have uh, Crowley here supposedly channeling, saying to worship me, take wine and strange drugs. And well, the, guess what? We have a whole culture of celebrities and so-called artists doing that, even to their death. That's no, true. And I mean, that supposedly, uh, that book of the law, that, that quote is recited to Crowley from Satan, according to Crowley. I mean, he veiled it, put in blinds and stuff like that, but Awas was Satan. Right, so right. You so, see the direct tie between these doctrines and the culture and, you know, early, these people dying young. Yeah, and then uh, another thing Crowley talked about uh, to stay on the or to get to the topic of music for a second is if you remember back in the 80s and the whole satanic panic thing and all these dumb, dumb pastors complaining about how their satanic messages and records, if you play them backwards, well, they didn't just make that up. I mean, Crowley himself specifically spoke about walking backwards, talking backwards, and, right. and, and, playing, like a, and playing music backwards. So, right, as a magical exercise, yeah. That's right, right, so these pastors weren't just paranoid. They were actually taking the guys seriously. Right, and, these, and you find out then that the musicians themselves are taking Crowley seriously too, right? I mean, that's yeah, kind of where these disciples are. I, I, I will say about um, what they call backmasking, there's at least two forms, okay? Uh and I mean, of course, I remember the days when you actually put a record on the needle and you could stop it with your finger and run it backwards. Now, you could run an entire song backwards and you sort of have to interpret, well, I think I heard this and ooh, that sounds like that. That to me is not that impressive because you're literally just interpreting noise. But there are songs where there's obvious backwards messages. Uh, in fact, I remember when I was a teenager, I had an Iron Maiden album, and it's between songs, so it's nice and quiet. And all of a sudden, you hear this, you know, this backwards talking. It was very obvious. So I put my finger on the record and spun it backwards. And, yeah, it was definitely a, a backwards message. Interesting. You know what it said? No, what? It said, don't mess with things you don't understand. <laughs> Interesting. So they, 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 they put the secret thing in there for... People who are going to do it. Oh, that's funny. Well, I think Bruce Dicker, Dickinson is a huge Crowley fan. He actually made a movie about Crowley called titled Crowley, I think in the States. In the UK, it was some other name. I forgot. Yeah, uh, not, not a great movie. It's ironic because the drummer of Iron Maiden became a Christian, and he's a drummer in his church's worship band. 
And, and Bruce Dick yeah, Dickinson went the other way completely. He even played in a side band called Chemical Wedding. That's right. That's based upon Crowley, right? Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, right. chemical wedding is an alchemical term. Right, that's right. Right. So it's interesting that within that band, you have <laughs> these guys going in completely opposite directions. Right, that's know? interesting. But just to add on that, I think that that was the name of the Crowley movie in the UK. I think he titled Yes, you're right. Yes, yes, it was. Yes, it was. You're right. Yeah, that's what it was. Right, so... And it wasn't a very good one, by the way. No, there were actually the very good sequences. There was one that I uh, really liked, which was they had Crowley in the last part of his life when he was in Hastings at this boarding house. It was played by John... I don't know why I remember the actor's name, but John Shrapnel played an aged, like, decrepit, decaying Crowley, and he did a, just a perfect job. It's a shame that the mm. whole movie was lousy, but uh, that one actor yeah. sequence... And it was... Uh, the guy who was visiting Crowley turned out to be um, Crowley's literary executor, a guy by the name of John John Simons, who wrote a book about, I think it was something about the beast. I can't remember the title of his book, but the, the OTO members thought Simons did a disservice in protecting kind of Crowley's uh, legacy, but uh, which, you know, if you're an occultist, you're probably true because I think Simons told a little bit too much truth, but it's, it's an interesting sequence and an otherwise... Pretty lousy movie, but there's a lot of cult <laughs> references there. There's the Scarlet Woman. There's all kinds of stuff. Right. The, the, the science fiction sequences they had looked super cheap. I mean, they looked like, it looked like sequences from Star Trek looked more advanced. Like the original Star Trek on TV looked more advanced <laughs> than what was in this Crowley movie. But it, Bruce Dickinson's in the movie, too. He plays the kind of housekeeper at the, at the earlier part of Crowley. So you can see him in there. And he was the person who spearheaded that film. I think right. he wrote it and did everything. So, anyways. And I know people like you and I would watch that movie as unpleasant and bad as it was just to try to derive some of the oh, hidden occult meaning from it no to question. understand what these guys are trying to tell us or tell each other. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's full of it. I mean, there's full of these reference, occult references, Crowley, you know, this, uh, but yeah, and all these phrases and stuff that Crowley used. So, uh, it's, oh, it's, it's full of it, all right. Yeah, yeah something else. <laughs> but moving on, the next person on your list is 311. Do you want to talk about the band 311? Well, I um, was actually a big 311 fan back in the day. Um, you see here right away I mentioned the oddity of their name. I mean, why is it 311? Why, why isn't the band called 311 or 311? Uh, you know, why 311? And I certainly don't know, but I just made my guess at it right off the bat. That's something interesting about them. Which is three times 11, 11 the number of magic. Is that it? Yeah, and then that the uh, – well, my emphasis what was that three 11s is 33. Right. So you've got the the top number in, in masonry, right? Right. And, you know, these guys, um, they definitely have uh, some Buddhist influence. But um, all their stuff is really saturated with uh, occult symbolism, and their uh, at least their bass player is probably the most outspoken, um, straight-up anti-Christian. I think one of them has a tattoo of "Do What Thou Wilt" on their leg. Right. right? Yeah. Yes, that's the one. The uh, bassist, yeah, Peanut. Yeah. 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 So they're all. What What's the story? I don't even know who Sean Avery is. Who's that? Well. One thing I wanted to mention, because honestly, I don't know a lot of these artists either. So the, the interesting thing is um, 
the ease of which uh, I was able to do some of this research is only because of the internet. Because if we go back a couple of decades, I don't know how I could have even compiled so many song lyrics. Where would I even find them, right? Yeah, so, so it was extremely easy to go to one of these many, many websites there are that have nothing but song lyrics and just type something like Crowley in the search engine or type in uh, Do What Thou Wilt or Everyone's a Star. And I got to admit, it's, it got, it's pretty spoiling as a researcher to get spoiled with the ease in which I can do that. So, yeah, a lot of these artists, I never actually listened to them. Um, I'm not really aware of who they are, but I was able to quickly compile a whole bunch of lyrics and a lot of uh, different references. Yeah, it's true. So I mean, let me see. Yeah, Avery, uh, he actually, it's not just about his lyrics, but he actually speaks about how he's you know, interested in is that an independent that artist? Did, yeah. Do you know that? Uh, yeah, I just haven't heard his name. That's all. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. He talks about Crowley. So does Elijah Blue Allman, who was the son right. of the recently deceased um, one of the Allman brothers. What was it? Was Cher's uh, son? Right. She's, she's right. Son, right. Correct. And so he, I didn't know that he was a Crowley aficionado. But you know, it's just like almost like it's almost like a default. Like right. You just assume that everybody in the music business loves Crowley, mm -hmm. and then there's some oddballs, you know, that don't aren't. It seems like that's the thing. I mean, you just John, the the son of John Lennon's into Crowley and anger. I mean, all these people are into this stuff. It's remarkable. And but, so, uh, one thing I also mentioned in here is that sometimes you look beyond the specific term "do what thou wilt." Those words in that order, but you can also recognize that same concept and something even as seemingly uh, meaningless as the Nike motto, just do it. Right. right. I mean, to me, and I'm not saying that the Nike shoe company is a, out preaching occultism, but I'm saying that the message is the same. Right. In fact, um, a couple of weeks ago, I watched the documentary on Netflix about the band Twisted Sister. Well, I, I would be hard-pressed to say that they're satanic. They're more just like a good-time rock and roll band. But, yeah, I mean, there is footage of Dee Snider yelling at the crowd, hey, we're Twisted Sister, and you can do whatever bleep bleep you want. It's the same basic message, which is there's no rules, there's no law. Do whatever you want, you know, even at your detriment. And that's basically the, the – for some reason, they think that's the rock and roll lifestyle. <laughs> like, I don't know if you if you got to the point in the book about where the singer from the band Rotting Christ is complaining about the singer of Megadeth because the singer of Megadeth, Dave Mustaine, became a Christian. Oh, interesting. Okay, like so, so Dave Mustaine says, hey, you know, we don't mind touring with bands that are into the dark side of life because the life can be dark. But we don't want to tour with bands that are straight up satanic. Interesting. Okay, and so the the singer from Rotting Corpse is basically saying, "Oh wow, you know, I thought Dave was metal. You know, he's supposed to be metal." It's like, well, okay, but what gives you the authority to define metal as therefore we must be satanic? I mean, what are you talking about? Yeah, interesting. It, it, you're now imposing your subjective standard. Unto Dave, 
and then you complain that Dave is imposing his subjective standard upon you. It, you're basically just uh, being hypocritical. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, it seems like now that we go back to Iron Maiden, these bands are there are some that go Christian and some stick with the occult, right? And they seem to be fighting with each other. It's interesting. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. Iron Maiden uh, is a special case for me because I was an Iron Maiden fan for many, 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 many years. And I'm not hesitant to say they could have gone down in history as being the most educational band. Unfortunately, they, they got into displaying a lot of, you know, um, scary horror, satanic imagery, and that kind of gave them a bad name to the outside world. Now, within heavy metal, that gave them a even better name. But, but they do have a very educational side of them. Right? Didn't um, they do a song on the rhyme of the ancient mariner? I mean, that was uh, that's you a know what? I'm, so, I'm glad you mentioned that because as a teenager, I read their lyrics. And it said that it was based on this ancient poem. So I got myself to the library and I looked it up. And so here I am a teenager at the library reading a poem from the 1700s only because a heavy metal band <laughs> played <laughs> off of it. What is it? Water, yeah. water everywhere, not a drop to yeah. drink? Yeah, all the boards that shrink. Water, water everywhere, nor a drop to drink. Yeah. That's right. And, uh, you know, they sang songs about... Um, Murder in the Rue Morgue. Right. Uh, so that's uh, God. What's the what's the author of Murder in the Rue Morgue? It's uh, ah, you know, <laughs> I know his face from Baltimore. His name is. Oh, I, <laughs> I hear you typing away. No, I'm going to type right now. Here we go. Because <laughs> the thing is, I the reason I knew that is because I read a compendium of all his Edgar Allan Poe. Allan Poe, yes. I and I mean, they, stories. Really good. they sang historical songs, you know, uh, the Ides of March and songs about World War Two and all kinds of, right. Yeah. Like all, there was a good references. Yeah. yeah. Classic references. They had a, a, a lot of lyrics that dealt with history and literature and that was awesome. Right. What was the one that was the ride right of the 3000 or whatever? Um, there was one about like a, a, another classic, uh, poem. I forgot what it was. Well, let me put it this way. There came a point um, once they put out their album, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son, that's when I was not interested in them anymore from thereafter because, honestly, uh, their music was a little too soft for my taste in those days. Interesting. <laughs> if you can imagine that. <laughs> that's pretty funny. No, it was uh, the ride of the 3,000. Now I can't remember. Oh, man. Troop is based upon now something like that. Oh well. Um, anyway, yeah, Iron Maiden. You know, that's just. I mean, there's a lot of occult stuff there. There's a lot of classic literature there. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Um, what do you want to talk about next? I mean, Almond. We can go to Russell Brand, Morrison. Yeah. Well, I was looking at the uh, section on the Rolling Stones. Okay, let's do that. Because you recall that uh, I had a recent movie about the Rolling Stones by Stephen Woolley. Uh, the movie is called Stoned. And remember I pointed out to you, wow, there's a scene in there that's an S&M scene. And they're basically having uh, an S&M tryst right in front of a huge poster of Crowley. Interesting. Fascinating. Is it uh, interesting? It sounds like performance. You ever hear this movie performance? 
That does not sound familiar. Yeah, that, I covered that in Children of the Beast. It was a guy who actually sat on the knee of Crowley made this movie that involved that had uh, Rolling Stones Jagger in it. Um, so it was interesting performance. And then, of course, this is something that's relatively well known, but on the cover of the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Club Hearts Band, there's a doll, and on the doll it says, Welcome the Rolling Stones. Right. So the Beatles were paying homage to the Rolling Stones, and then the Rolling Stones put out the album uh, Her Majesty's Satanic Request. Right. And in there, in the album, they had hidden pictures of uh, all four Beatles. So there's this kind of like circular, circular thing. Yeah, if you go to the book page... Um, 96? Yeah, 96, 97. It's right there. Didn't uh, didn't the early Stones or didn't the Beatles write some of the early Stone songs? That's what I remember. I'm not sure about who wrote for whom, but you can see this kind of circular. Hey, listen to these guys, and hey, listen to these guys in turn, right, helping each other out. And of course, the famous, uh, well-known fact that Crowley appears on the cover of the Beatles album. Right. Interesting. And then let's talk about Damon Albarn of the Gorillas, and he was in Blur. Um, he walks around with Crowley Seven, what is it, the Seal of Babylon on his neck, right. on his chest, right? Yeah, yeah, Babylon. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one of the. Remember, I I sent you a link to that just I think two weeks ago, and that's when I told you go, uh, William. Oh, yeah, the more, the more, you know, this never ends because that's that was something brand new to me. No, it, it actually it doesn't end. It, there was a guy I wanted to tell you about. He was a new rapper, and he um, his name was Absol. You ever hear of Absol? No, but I tell you what, I'm gonna have to have you send me an email with all these interesting references you're bringing up that I did not include because it's, well, there's there's so much out there. You can literally write another book. You have a 250 <laughs> page book. You can go to 500. You actually cover a lot of the new African American artists who are referencing occult stuff. But this right. guy, Absol, actually had an album titled Do What Thou Wilt. Wow. And I think straight he, up. Huh? Yeah, straight up uh, the fourth studio album of rapper Absol. And this guy's very apparently very popular. I haven't heard any of his stuff. But uh, December 9th, 2016. So it's pretty positive rep, uh, positive stuff from, from uh, critics. So anyway, anyway, absolutely yeah, was interesting. You had what chance was a guy chance the rapper? What was the guy's name? Uh, no, it was another dude. You had Ciara, and the other one was uh, Tyler the Creator. Right. Was, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you pretty much look up anything on on Tyler or his band, you know his group, the Odd Future Wolfgang Kill Them All. <laughs> <laughs> if you look up anything uh, about them, like if you just type them into a search engine that shows images, inevitably you're going to get something satanic. It's just that, that's how often they display that sort of a thing. Yeah, he's got the pictures of Crowley all over doing weird signs. Yeah. Yep. All there. So, I mean, even the kind of African-American, what about the death metal guys? I mean, all these death metal, Merciful Fate, Coven. Roddy yeah. Christ, Moonspell, these Death SS, these bands I've never heard of, but all Crowley. Yeah. Um, 
Merciful Fate, that was, I, I used to be a really big fan of that band back in the day. And, you know, it's funny because looking back to think of some of the things I would allow to just pump into my head and enjoy. <laughs> um, I mean, even, well, within another context, I also think back to when I used to be into reggae music. And uh, just really enjoying Bob Marley's song, Talking Blues. Well, when I think about it now, I realize, wait a minute. In that song, he says, I feel like bombing a church. Trust me. And he says it's because the preacher is lying. And so thinking back, I, I just think, well, back in the day when I was enjoying that song, why didn't that ever stand out at me as, wait a minute, this is just not acceptable. I mean, this is supposed to be a peace and love guy. And why is he singing about wanting to bomb a church? That's interesting. You know, it's because he disagreed with the theology. Right. So it's the same thing with Merciful Fate and one of their songs, having a straight up oath to Satan, to devote your life to Satan. There it is, just right oh, there. It's amazing. <laughs> I typed in Tyler, the creator, Alistair Crowley, in a cover of my original book, Prophet of the Evil. Popped up so subliminal synchrosphere OTO. Somebody must have. Huh. Yeah, that must be an old article or something. Well, oh, you have arrived, today. William. I'm there. I'm there. I'm, I'm on. A, I'm on a, a a thing with Jay Z. Says, "Do what thou wilt." Uh -huh. The book is somewhere on the picture there. Interesting. Oh, there it is. Recall in the previous post we mentioned Crowley and 9-11 and the Philemic undertones and numbers, 93 being the number of Philemon. That's correct. So, yeah, I mean, it's all over the place. I mean, I think there's probably somebody in Hollywood who just initiates all these people in droves, don't you think? Probably some OTO member. Well, you know, you mentioned Hollywood. Uh, I put up a post about how many times I've noticed the number 11 being um, an obvious feature of a movie. And I mean, it's that was another one of those things that it literally never ended. You know how many times right. I edited that article to add more stuff to it? It was crazy. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I yeah, I've noticed that too. Once you kind of see an eye for that, it pops that, up. That's right. That's right. Once you have an eye, talk about Kurt Hammett and Adam Jones. Isn't Kurt Hammett the guitarist of uh, Metallica? Yes. Was he into Crowley? I didn't know that. You know, if you notice that section. They don't talk about Crowley. Okay. I gotta go the, the reason I included it is because of the underlying context, which is that these guys are bringing a very purposeful occultic philosophy into what they do as musicians. Interesting. Gotcha. Okay. So, so that's something, yes, that's something they're very open about. And the, right before that, I mentioned the drummer from the band Tool who is also incredibly open about it. He has he has the Seal of Babylon and other sigils on his actual drums, and he says that basically he allows something to possess him, and he plays on his drums whatever the being is expressing through him. Fascinating. Wow, that's straight-up demon possession. I know oh, he has one of the biggest original Crowley libraries in the world because he's collected everything. And the thing about Kirk Hammett and then um, Adam Jones from the band Bad Religion is they t they're taking more of a philosophical approach in that what they're trying to do through, through their music isn't just to play music. And 
if you hear occultists or even New Agers, sometimes they'll talk about how what they do and how they do it, and the, sometimes even the colors that they wear, the words they use, the movements that they make, all of it is meant to affect somebody subliminally, um, just affect them on every conceivable level. And so, like here, uh, Hammett's talking about uh, a bee. There's a painting of a, the insect, a bee, on his guitar, and he says, which is symbolic of knowledge, the raven symbolizing secret knowledge, and then the all-seeing eye, symbolic of universal knowledge. So, you know, you look at his guitar, and you're like, oh, that's kind of wacky, all these uh, cool figures on it. Well, to him, it means something, and it's conveying something. Right. Well, that makes sense. I didn't know that, I didn't know till now that the raven represents secret knowledge. I knew it represented something, but it pops up all the time in uh, Sons of Anarchy. All these other oh, kind of shows, yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, the ravens all over the place. If you keep an eye, there's a lot of occult pictures and things like that of women holding ravens, things like that. It makes perfect sense. Mm. Makes perfect sense. Um, what else do you want to move on to? We've probably been talking a good forty-five minutes. I think. Anything else you want to cover? Do you want to get into the kind of the more movies and comic references? I was actually going to make a statement and then ask you a question, if you don't mind. <laughs> we can invert the whole thing. You can interview me. Oh, yeah. No, in fact, um, why don't you quickly, if you remember off the top of your head, give us the names of the people you cover in your book. Oh, that's a good question. Well, I really tried to go back from the beginning of the people that Crowley influenced. So not as much modern as you did. Right, like right. You kind of covered post-life Crowley 1947. I included people who uh, met Crowley in real life. So there were people like um, Ian Fleming who had known Crowley. There was another writer, a guy who wrote The Devil Rides Out, Dennis Wheatley, who was really the Stephen King of his age um, There and, and wrote a lot of occult-related books, including a lot of stuff that influenced Ian Fleming's Bond series. Uh, so, And then I also wrote about Augustus John, who was an interesting character who – did about four, um, you know, drafts or, or uh, firsthand drawings of Crowley, Crowley sat for him. He was a famous artist, but the interesting thing about Augustus John is he was a libertine who actually had a daughter with Ian Fleming's mother. And so this girl, her name was Amaryllis Fleming, was kind of a an illegitimate daughter of Ian Fleming's mom. It's interesting. So you see this connection between Augustus John, who knew Crowley, right. And it, interestingly, Ian Fleming thought that Augustus John was the ideal representation of what a man should live like. But he, Augustus John was kind of like a, not a hermit. He was like, a, what, what's the word for it in England? He's basically, not a, uh, what are the people? Bohemian. A bohemian, yeah. Bohemian's a good word. But traveled around with his wife and his girlfriend, both living together. And he used to make a joke like, I never know which of these kids is mine, like walking around. Oh, wow. Yeah, because he was uh, like that. But yeah, Augustus John was a really a remarkable character, but it ties Fleming to Crowley. And, um, and you know, Ian Fleming wrote his first book, which was Casino Royale. The, the character, his name was, um, I can't remember his name, but he's based upon Crowley. Um, it was this chief, S-C-H-I-F-F-R-E, the cipher, was this big, fat-headed guy, bald, based upon Crowley. 
But uh, yeah, Ian Fleming was it. I mean, you had these, who else did I include in those early ones? J.F.C. Fuller, who was an early follower of Crowley, wrote a book with Crowley and ended up influencing Hitler's forces and actually went to Hitler's 50th birthday in Berlin. Um, so, and there's actual interesting inter interrelation between this mass killer Hitler and uh, J.F.C. Fuller. I would actually kind of, you can make a damn, a very good argument that Hitler was really a political Crowley kind of put all his, his ideas into, uh, into work. This, this kind of slave shall serve slave state, uh, you know, be off the weak. And they actually, Hitler, and I include Hitler in my book, they actually said similar things. Crowley said, success is, is your, is the um, sign, is the perfect result, or the perfect result of action is success or something. And, and Hitler said something very similar to that. He just believed success was the right result, you know, result of action is to victory. Um, it comes out of the book of the law. It's an interesting thing. And yeah, so, you know, I covered a lot. The book is long. About 400 pages. It has tons of footnotes, but uh, I really kind of just one. Who was the other one? It was Somerset Mom, who included Crowley in his book, The Magician. This kind of character, and you cover uh, yes. Oliver Haddo, right? So Oliver yeah. Haddo is also was used sometime later in A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So this character, who is definitely Crowley, and there's an interrel. Crowley writes about Somerset Mom, who was best friends with Ian Fleming. So when Ian Fleming had his first heart attack, the first person who visited him was Somerset Mom. So these guys. You know, all kind of operated together in the same, you know, culture. Um, so I tried to show that in the early parts of uh, Children of the Beast. And then, you know, I talk about kind of later characters, anger. Um, I think, it's, you know, Manson, one of the interesting things about anger is he direct tie into the Manson family, but they never really talk about it when they talk about Charles Manson. The fact that Bobby Boussoulet lived with Kenneth Anger and was in Lucifer Rising is, I think, a, a vitally important part of the whole Manson story, but it's always left out. But that's just a little bit that I can remember off the top of my head. Well, and I did that on purpose, you know, respecting your work so much and knowing what you were covering, I purposefully wanted my book to be more like the modern day version of it. So I think that they work well together in that way. I agree. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here. I didn't really know about so much Japanese anime, Crowley stuff. I didn't know a lot of cartoon stuff. Oh, so. yeah. Anime is yeah. saturated with occult. I had no idea. Yeah. So that's really fast. That was really fascinating, at least for my reading. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, the thing is, is that you can see these ties from Crowley to to Fleming and James Bond. And here's James Bond, the one of the most influential. Right. Uh, you know, movie series and book series in human history influenced by a guy who tried to get, was talking to Crowley about the Hess. You know, the thing is, is Fleming lured Hess into Northern England and then had him captured based upon a fake pretense that there was an, uh, a conservative group that would try to negotiate with the English government for peace against Germany. And Hess was, you know, the third number three in the third Reich. Like this was not a low level person. Um, Hess, yeah, so, and he's involved in Hess is trying to, de they actually Crowley offered his services to debrief Hess. Yes. Um, so it's, it's really fascinating, this kind of ties that are, st I mean, the World War II was 70 years ago. It's not that long. There's still people alive who went through that, you know, so. Right, because Ian Fleming wasn't just an author. He was involved in British intelligence. Absolutely. I mean, he, but he wasn't just involved. He actually sat underneath the um, head of their admiralty. Um, so like the, the United States has kind of four different 
military branches, but the real military branch in England is the seafaring branch. This is the most powerful aspect of the British military. And, and Fleming was basically the guy right underneath the top. And the guy who ran it, I can't remember his name offhand, but he said Fleming was a war winner. And you can see pictures of Fleming is clearly traveling around. There's pictures of him with uh, Lucky Luciano. Um, so he knew all these guys, and there's a lot of stuff that he can. There's interviews of him, of Ian Fleming with uh, Canada Public Television, where he's saying, "I could tell you stories, but I'd be in violation of the Secrecy Act." You know. <laughs> so yeah. there's all these stories that he took. He took vignettes from his exit, from real time stuff that he experienced, and put it in James Bond. So all of these gambling sequences where they're always gambling with the enemy, those are all things that he did while he was in Portugal. And one of the interesting aspects of Fleming is he wrote the 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 foundational document for the American CIA. So he put this together and the United States uh, absorbed all of these uh, ideas that Fleming had. So Fleming is really a remarkable character, spoke fluent German, you know, uh, really some, something else, but really super talented, came from a banking family, was the best athlete at Eton t- two years in a row. Um, but unfortunately kind of, pissed it all away on high living and cigarettes. Like he had a heart, <laughs> he had a heart attack and didn't stop smoking. So wow, yeah, not wise. And he always was a high liver. He always went to get to the best restaurants and always had gin and smokes. So it's not not a way to have a long life. So, but he when he died, the they had a uh, his gravestone wasn't a normal gravestone. It was the uh, what do you call it Masonic. Um, obelisk style gravestone so it's pretty clear that he was affiliated with the secret knowledge at least in my opinion and you know they intersperse it throughout a lot of his books Ouroboros is included in one and I have to go back I'd love to sit down and read all his books and really decipher them decode them but I just haven't had the time so any I- other questions anything else? well this is what I want to ask you yeah you, you asked me a question then I want to talk about your other book that you've been on a furious of publishing books <laughs> on Amazon so yeah, we can lay the groundworks for another interview you know next month where we can cover I would love to talk to you about some of your other research sure what do you got well I mean why don't you <laughs> why don't you tell let's see what was the one that I saw that was about religion you wrote one the title of which looked very intriguing it is well you did that Pop Atheist Bible Expositors featuring oh. Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitch, and Sam Harris, Dan Barker, and Neil DeGuy. Now, these are, this is a very relevant, salient book for the present day because these guys are all over everywhere. Chris, uh, Sam Harris, Tyson, and Dawkins really control the narrative regarding this kind of uh, stuff. So, yes. I mean, I, let me just to let you know, I wrote, read the intro about Sam Harris's book on Christianity. I can't remember the title of it. But I yeah. broke out laughing. It was such a joke. It's so bad. <laughs> it was such a, like a poor understanding of the book that it didn't have any basis in what was written in the New Testament. But I, so I, for me, when I see Sam Harris talking, I just kind of smirk. I'm like, okay, right. But the thing is, you are discerning enough, and you have the background knowledge to know it's nonsense. But a lot of his. Um, young angry rebellious teenage fans they just oh sammy said it well then it must be true it's true so that was a an interesting book because what i did is not focus on everything they have to say about religion and god but specifically their statements about the contents of the bible and how you know frankly how badly they miss they misunderstand yeah i mean and don't you think some of that misunderstanding is intentional 
because it doesn't, if they understood it, it wouldn't fit into their scientistical outlook. Yeah. It, to say that it's purposeful would be going a little beyond my comfort level because I would kind of have to be able to read the motivation of their hearts, you know? Uh, right. So I would definitely say that there's enough information out there um, that they should know better, especially being as smart, smart as they claim to be. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I would think Christopher Hitchens is a brilliant guy, uh, an atheist, but still brilliant. And these guys claim to be super intelligent, but they, I mean, there was a, there's a, I got to send you this link online. It was a YouTube question where somebody asked Richard Dawkins for the full title of, of the um, uh, yeah, origin of, of the species. Or, yeah. He couldn't spit it out. No. <laughs> um, he just like ate his words, and the full title is Origin of the Species, or what is it? The 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 basis the the base the struggle for races races in the struggle for survival or something, right? So it's like it's a race manual. It has a racist implication to it. The struggle of the favored races in the battle, the evolutionary struggle for the favored races in the battle for survival or something like that. Yeah, it was um, on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. That's it. Or the preservation of favored races in the struggle See, for life. In the they conveniently never talk about that. No, now, okay, the reason Dawkins was asked that question is because a study had come out about how many Christians, so-called, how many Christians in the UK could not even name the first book of the Bible or didn't know their order or which gospel came first and all this. And so that's what happened. They turned it around on Dawkins to talk about his favorite book. And, yeah, he <laughs> he didn't know the title. But see, now you're getting me uh, off into this subject. So basically, no, no, it's fine. It's just that uh, what I'm thinking about how what what happens in atheism is okay. So you have this concept of the struggle for life. Okay, so basically, um, what happens in atheism is death, pain, and suffering is. Thank you for listening. That was Ken Ami discussing his book about Aleister Crowley's influence upon modern culture. The rest of the interview can be found at my YouTube channel, William Ramsey Investigates. Thank you.